Hey there, welcome to night school. Something I want to talk about today, it's kind of a dark topic, really. I don't think that I'll, I'm going to go in too dark of a territory, but it's a thought that's been coming to me often lately, and it's not totally new in that it's something I've recognized before, but it's of increasing concern to me. And it's people's capacity to want to hurt animals and children because of a because of some sort of political or social conflict and i would say be aware of this and i'll i'll just give some examples you know there was a video that came up during the summer during you know it was a blm mob throwing rocks at a car i don't know what preceded this video all i know is that the video starts and there's a mob of blm protesters very clearly identified throwing rocks at what I think was a station wagon. It was a hatchback. And there was a dog in the very back, and they shattered out the back window. And the dog was, of course, very upset and barking, and they weren't letting this car go anywhere. And the mob of people continued to throw stones. And it's just amazing how that's so eternal. You know, the Bible talks about mobs stoning people and how we continue to have that. Of course we do. Of course, we still got we still have rocks, we still have people. Of course, mobs of people will throw rocks. Children do it on a playground. One time I threw a rock at a girl. It was a small rock. It wasn't gonna hurt her. But I threw a rock at a girl. I was in kindergarten. I, I've had a rock thrown at me. But uh, mobs of people will naturally start throwing rocks, and so it's, it's amazing how that just keeps coming. We'll never outgrow that until there's no more rock, which I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think those rocks are going anywhere. I think we're always going to have rocks. So we're always going to have mobs of people who throw rocks. But uh, anyway, people were throwing these rocks. They shattered out the back window. There was a very terrified dog barking at them and they were taunting the dog and they were continuing to throw rocks at the car. And I had this thought watching that where I was like, you know, these some of these people would probably consider themselves animal lovers. I don't think this mob of people, many of them surely own pets who they love, and they probably are excited to see their friends' pets. They might even be the kind of people who pet cats just walking down the street, pet dogs. And yet here they are being incredibly cruel to an animal. Fortunately, they didn't hit the dog with a rock, but it easily could have happened. They were continuing to pelt this car with rocks while this dog barked. But you could tell in that moment they saw that dog as either collateral damage or simply the enemy because the dog belonged to somebody who they considered their enemy. And that's very scary to me. That idea is very scary to me that people who would otherwise probably consider themselves animal lovers. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this mob of people were actually a coalition of animal haters. Maybe they were the coalition of animal haters. No, I really doubt it. I, I, I imagine, you know, they were probably animal lovers. There were animal lovers among them. At the very least, some of the witnesses who did not stop what was going on were probably animal lovers, yet they allowed this to happen. And I mean, of course, there's always a degree of maybe hypocrisy or contradiction in that somebody who's an animal lover goes out hunting and kills an animal, although there's a reason for that. There's a purpose. I mean, I think there's always going to be a degree of hypocrisy 
when it comes to loving animals. Meanwhile, you eat them. Meanwhile, you'll kill a fly. You know, we all have these boundaries of what we consider to be acceptable behavior when it comes to other creatures. And it doesn't, it's not always consistent. You know, there is a degree of hypocrisy. And speaking of which, I have a dog who wants up. But yeah, there's always going to be a degree of hypocrisy, I think, when it comes to just being a living creature and dealing with other creatures, especially creatures who belong to different species, some of which are more or less attractive than others, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, but this video just stood out to me because I was like, they either cruelly disregard that dog. They, you know, they, what's the word I'm looking for here? They are, they either have callous disregard for this dog or they even hate this dog because they see it as an extension of the driver who they hate, who they're in disagreement with. And as I said, I don't even know what led up to this. I don't know what the driver did beyond just driving their car near a protest. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to make any conclusions about that. But what I did see was what people were doing to this dog who was simply in the back of a vehicle. And, you know, that concerns me because I know that people, you know, I've seen this thing happen even in my, in my personal life where I remember having a girlfriend who was very enthusiastic about my cats. She loved my cats, but I noticed that as she got sick of me, <laughs> as the relationship wore thin, I noticed that she no longer gave my cats much attention. She would no longer go out of her way to pet my cats or talk to them or interact with them. They were just kind of there. So as she got, you know, bored with me, it's interesting how that kind of extended to my cats because they were an extension of me. I don't know if other people have noticed that happening, but it does happen. Where when someone gets kind of, if someone's not feeling great about you, they might get kind of more annoyed at your pets. They might uh, even disregard them. They might start to dislike them. I mean, I've noticed that tendency in myself, just being somebody who observes the online world. I've definitely like looked online, and if there's somebody I, I didn't like, I don't really feel this way about anybody now, but if there was somebody I know who I just didn't really like, and they posted a picture of their animal, their pet, I'd be kind of like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. And actually, something like that happened recently where somebody I know posted a picture of their pet, but the pet was in like a political shirt. They had bought like a shirt of the presidential candidate they were going to be voting for, something like that. They made this post about their pet very political, and I, I resented it. Otherwise, I would normally be happy to see somebody's pet, but the fact that their pet had been coupled with this political campaign just put me off. And so that's sort of what was happening with these people throwing rocks at a dog, you know, where it it wasn't necessarily that they were trying to hurt the dog, but the fact that this dog was associated with this person who they associated with a social or political movement that they despised made it okay to disregard the dog's well-being and even taunt the dog and throw rocks near him. And I, you know, I certainly didn't feel that way. 
Like when I saw this post that was, you know, a heavily politicized pet post. And that's a new genre. That's a new category. Heavily politicized pet post. H triple P. Heavily politicized pet post. You know, it just, it put me off. And as much as I try to see past politics and find common ground with people beyond politics, it felt really cheap to me. And I see a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, people do it with team sports. I mean, I put a little Seahawks jersey on Batty some days, and somebody could look at that and be like, that dog don't care about the Seahawks. Oh, so your dog's got a Seahawks jersey. I bet he, I bet he just loves watching football, don't he? And if they're not a fan of the Seahawks or they're a fan of a rival team, it might make them hate my dog. So I understand the impulse, like if you care about something, you know, your pet is a way of expressing that, the clothes you put on your pet. What a weird species we are that we do that, but, you know, I understand it for sure, but there are some situations where it does just put me off, but I think I would catch myself before I let myself hate somebody else's pet because of who their owner is. But people do see pets as an extension of the owner, which I think is scary because it can lead people to justify cruelty toward animals. And I know this probably sounds far-fetched to people, but it happens both personally as well as politically. And if things got bad enough, if, if things actually got violent enough in our society, I think we would see a lot of cruelty to animals as a product of people's conflict with each other. And I think this video I saw of the people throwing rocks is just one little example of that. But it does happen in people's personal lives as well. Like I mentioned, the girlfriend who I noticed just started to care less about my cats. And it's not like I was sitting there watching it. It was just, I'm a very observant person. And it was just something I observed. And I don't even think I was completely aware of it at the time. It was just something I was observed and that later it made sense. Because this person loved cats, and so the idea that she would no longer be enthusiastic about my cats seemed really weird. But of course it makes sense now. You know, she was starting to resent me, so of course that extended to these creatures who are an extension of me. Even though they're not, even though they're their own entity, it's hard to separate people from their pets physically. It's hard to separate people physically from their pets, let alone emotionally or otherwise. Uh, but you can see it when people abuse animals. I mean, you'll hear about, you know, like like psycho boyfriends killing their girlfriend's dog or their cat as some sort of act of retaliation. Uh, a friend of mine told me how her boyfriend, like, screamed in her pet's ear once after a fight. Like, he walked over and just screamed in its ear. So you can see where people see animals as a way to get to somebody. And it's a way to get to somebody when you have a problem with them. So, of course, that would play out personally as well as in larger social ways. And so that's something to be concerned about. And when you start seeing people be cruel to animals as some sort of expression of political tension, like I think we're already seeing a little bit, or we've, we have seen a little bit of it, that's when you need to really start worrying and maybe this sounds extremely paranoid and weird, which I think it is a little bit. 
but if you think there's nothing to this, I think you're going to be in for a shock if you ever do observe true turmoil, true social turmoil. And another part of that is children. It's animals and children, because we also, you know, unless you're a complete psycho, unless you're, you know, a pedophile or something, unless unless you're talking about those things, you would never expect somebody to see children as collateral damage, even though that's a part of war. Even though we know our country has done drone strikes, missiles that have hit schools. And of course, we don't like that, but it's also out of sight, out of mind. And I'm very against the U.S., the use, the U.S. I'm very against the U.S. being involved in foreign lands. I am. Unless it's absolutely necessary, like we do have some sort of necessary alliance with foreign countries that requires our intervention, I am very against U.S. intervention in foreign activities. Um. But, you know, we do hear about those things. We hear about children being killed in war that we were involved in. And even if there was already bad shit going on over there, capital B, capital S, bad shit, not doing a great job avoiding swearing. Maybe I should just not care. But uh, capital B, capital S, bad shit. You know, even if bad shit is already going on and people are being hurt, just our involvement in things over there. And the fact that our involvement sometimes does result in certainly the death of animals, which we never hear about, but the death of children as well, which we do hear about, but it's just kind of, it's again one of those things where it's like the fact that children died under previous presidents just kind of gets overlooked. Though we love Obama. We love Obama. You know, we, we love him. So it's not his fault that a drone strike killed a child. Meanwhile, the guy we hate, it's everything's his fault. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, though, where we kind of overlook it or we find some way of justifying the horror. Because you can't really live with that kind of horror on your mind or in your heart all the time, but I don't think you should lie your way out of it. I think you should find a way to come to terms with the greater dilemma of simply being a human. You know, I think you should try to come to terms with that and not justify acts of horror. Uh, How you do that, I don't know. I'm figuring it out, trying to at least. But to get back to it, the idea of justifying animosity toward children, and we've seen a little bit about that. I was very alarmed on each side, really, when people were attacking the mega hat kid who it turned out had just been standing there and he was approached by an activist. And the only thing was, you know, you know, some of his friends were kind of like hooting and hollering, but the only thing he did is smirk. And you can see the where projection, and I hate the word projection, it's so psych 101, but it's real. You can't avoid it. I wish I could find another word for projection. It's the word. Projection is the word. I can't avoid it. But you can see where projection just goes on. You know, it's like somebody turns the, you know, uh, turns, the <laughs> can't, speaking of words, can't think of the word. Um, somebody just pushes that lever and all of a sudden it's like project everything you want onto this kid's face. 
His, you know what his face reminds me of? It reminds me of my bully. His face reminds me of 300 years of white supremacist bullies. You know, people are saying things like that. They're reading into this kid who was just standing there and smirking. Am I going to defend the kid as a person? I don't know him. I don't know him. But as the the whole video unfolded, it's like it's clear this guy did nothing but stand there in his mega hat. And the problem is, is that he's wearing a mega hat and people hate him for that reason because he's a 17-year-old wearing a, a hat that supports a political candidate you hate. Therefore, you can, you can assume whatever you want about the reason he's smirking. You can assume whatever you want. And what people were saying in response to that was he has a punchable face, which is one of those pop culture sayings. It's a mainstream saying, which people don't really think about when they say it. It's kind of funny. It's said, you know, with a sense of humor. And it's not the, you know, it's, it's funny. Oh, he's got a punchable face. But when you think about what that really means, you know, I know I'm going to blow your mind here, but what that really means, which is that that person makes me want to commit an act of violence against them for no reason. That's what it means when you say somebody has a punchable face. Because it's not saying, oh, that person did something that makes me want to punch them. What they're saying is there's something about the way that person simply looks that makes me want to commit an act of violence against them. And the fact that a whole large group of people, people I know, people I don't know, it was all over the place. The fact that many people were fantasizing about punching a teenager in the face for no reason. Because of of where he fell, you know, on some political spectrum, which could be the result of his parenting. We know he went to a Catholic school. We can assume that his parents are Catholics and they put him through a certain system and that he thinks the way he does, probably in part because of the way he was raised. But why do you, why do you even need to go there with it? Why do you even need to go with why he thinks the way he does? He thinks the way he does and he's standing there. And uh, he did nothing to confront the man who approached him. But a bunch of celebrities, a bunch of adults, a bunch of old people are fantasizing about this kid's punchable face. So they're, they're fantasizing about committing an act of violence against a child. And there were even celebrities who tried to dox him. See, I know all the hip terms, dox, except I spell it with three X's because it is perverse. Um, but, uh, you know, these people are fantasizing about hurting what we consider a child, somebody who's not a legal adult. And people do that in the same way. It's not like these people were actually planning on hurting this kid if given the opportunity. Although I I wouldn't say they wouldn't. You know, I don't know that they wouldn't if they had an option, because I think that's the thing. It's kind of like with the dog, where people will start to hate an animal if it belongs to somebody they hate. If a kid is associated with something that you hate, I think you do start to justify cruelty toward them and that's what these people were doing even if they didn't intend on doing it and it sort of reminds me of the posturing people do when they talk about pedophile when they talk about audiophiles i misspoke there when when people talk about how horrible audiophiles are i mean i think it's a great system i mean i'm I'm never going to be somebody who defends audiophiles 
You know, I think it's great that audiophiles have to register and go door to door and let people in their neighborhood know that they're audiophiles. Like, I'm glad we have databases of audiophiles and we can look them up and say, okay, I'm glad to know that that freaking audiophiles in my neighborhood. I don't like that they're in my neighborhood, but I'm glad to know that that audiophiles here because if they ever do anything, if they ever act on it, if that audiophile ever acts on it, I'm going to hang them upside down by the toes and stick uh, a thousand needles in the top of their head and, uh, you know, beat them with a, a whip made out of, their, out of their own ponytail. And that's, that's what I'm getting at here is these fantasies people have about hurting pedophiles. It's something that a lot of people who are otherwise pretty well put together, they'll, they'll have these conversations where they posture about what they would do to an audiophile. If I said if I said something else, if I said a word that started with a P a second ago, I meant audiophile. Uh, but people will sit around adults with children, and it makes complete sense. It makes complete sense because these people don't belong in our society. It really stretches the limits of your compassion when you hear about pedophiles, audiophiles. God dang it, man. I obviously haven't had enough coffee. Three giant cups of coffee right before I recorded obviously wasn't enough because I'm making mistakes left and right. Uh, But it makes total sense why audiophiles don't belong in civilized society and why when you hear about an audiophile doing something to a a child, forcing them to listen to crystal clear audio in $10,000 headphones, the fact that somebody would do that to a child infuriates you to the point that you you do have this fantasy of what you would do to them. And it makes it's a way of venting. And they don't actually mean it. If confronted with the actual possibility of hurting an audiophile, I mean, first of all, all you got to do is uh, unplug their stereo. All you got to do is scratch their records. All you got to do is uh, switch their $10,000 million headphones out with a, a pair of dime store earbuds that's all you got to do if you want to torture an audiophile uh, but no but actually if, if actually confronted with a situation where you could retaliate or hurt an audiophile you probably wouldn't and so it's just a way of venting and that's sort of what people are doing when they talk about this kid the sandman you heard about the comic book the sandman He's a kid who just smirks at people. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing as that, where when people are like, he's just got such a punchable face, he reminds me of my racist bully. I, you know, when I see his face, I see the face of my racist bully. You know, when people say that, a lot of it's just venting. But it is a slippery slope where... At the end of the day, what are you saying? Even if you don't mean it, even if you're just venting about somebody who represents a way of thinking you don't like and you think is harmful to our world, at the end of the day, you are fantasizing about hurting a child. You are finding justifications for it. And if that had been a child in that car and not a dog and you were throwing rocks at that, well, actually, that happened here. Uh, A BLM mob not very far from my house, took over an intersection and were throwing rocks at cars. And they did throw a rock through a window that had a baby in a, uh, what do you call it, a car seat? 
What do you call the other seats in a car? If that's a car seat, if the thing that a baby's sitting in is a car seat, what do you call the other seats in the car? No, but they did. They threw a rock through a window and had a baby in it. And so you can see where it's like that baby is an extension. That baby is collateral damage. In the same way that a school that accidentally gets hit by a missile in Iraq is collateral damage. You know, a baby sitting in a car seat of a car with the parent trying to drive away from a BLM mob, you know, that baby becomes collateral damage, just like that dog was collateral damage in the back of a Subaru, which you'd think somebody driving a Subaru would be sympathetic with the mob. And maybe they were, because these people go after anybody, you know, uh, anybody who just turns down the wrong street. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's seen as collateral damage, but I think that it does become more than that. Where there is somebody who then thinks, you know, oh, well, you know, hey, I mean, it's kind of like vendetta logic. You know, you think about the Godfather where they kill, you know, if if you watch the Godfather 2 where they give Vito Corleone's backstory, they talk about how his father had been killed and then the Don who killed his father kills the oldest son. And there's this idea of vendetta and that's a very ancient idea that's very real where because you killed the father or you were in conflict with the father, you then kill the son. And that actually happened in the 1980s mafia war in Sicily, which was just unbelievably violent. I recommend if you're interested in the Sicilian side of the mafia, read about the 1980s mafia war. It's medieval. They were blowing up judges, prosecutors, each other. They were killing each other. They kidnapped the son of a boss they had killed, and they cut his arm off while he was alive, and they held his arm in front of him and said, you'll never be able to use this hand to kill us in revenge for your father. Like, this is, like, dramatic. These people are dramatic, barbaric people. And then you have to remember that that's in all of us. Yeah, we might be able to laugh off saying... Uh, The Sandman has a punchable face. We might be able to laugh that off, but yet you have celebrities trying to dox him, D-O-Triple-X him, and people actually fantasizing about hurting him. And yeah, that's not the same thing as cutting off a child's arm and waving it in their face, saying you'll never be able to pull the trigger and get revenge for your father. It's a little different, but it's still the same slippery slope. And when you start demonizing people's children, you are operating off of this vendetta mindset. You know, you are operating off of this medieval mindset where you even look at the Middle Ages, you know, look at royal succession in the Middle Ages where, oh, you know, you kill the king's son so that they can't develop a following and take the throne. You kill the two boys and hide them in the wall of the Tower of London so they can't take the throne. You know, there's a long history of projecting larger issues onto children when you think they represent something that is at odds with you. And so the idea that we are worlds away from that is not true at all, especially when you have people fantasizing about punching a kid in the face for smirking. And then it goes, too, with this, uh, with Gerda. With Gerda. 
the the I believe she's what Scandinavian the Scandinavian girl who's going to save our planet, uh, Gerda. You know she has been mocked relentlessly. You know, and yeah, she's on a public stage making statements that some people consider controversial. But the idea of making a mockery out of her, it just seems like you should be above that. I don't know. I've never heard anything about violence. I haven't heard anybody say that Gerda has a punchable face. I'm sure somebody's thought it. You know, I know that she's gotten very indignant. I've seen the stills of her angry face. I don't think she has a punchable face. Um... Not that I'm above that thought, which I'll get into in a second. Not that I'm above punchable faces. There are certainly punchable faces. But children, no. Even if I had that thought, I would know that I have something I need to do immediately to escape that weird fantasy. It's one thing if you're fantasizing about audiophiles, because I agree. I think society is better without audiophiles. And I'm glad there's a registry. But when it comes to children, you know, not that children are, you know, I mean, obviously there are children who do horrific things. There are 17-year-old boys who do horrific things. And in doing that, they become men. They become almost, uh, you know, when a 17-year-old does something truly horrific, like a horrific, violent crime, it's not even that they become a man. They become Grendel. You know, they embody evil, and, and that's just that's a difficult subject. Like, what do you do about evil even when it's young? But what I'm talking about here isn't when somebody embodies Grendel. I'm not talking about a, a child committing a truly evil act. I'm talking about a child who is simply related to some sort of cause or a family or just something that you disagree with and you consider your political or social enemy. And if you think that your sociopolitical enemy is evil, be careful because you might very well become the one that's evil in justifying your opposition to somebody uh, on, the, on the grounds that they are evil. It's sort of like the idea of something I like to say these days to myself is just be compassionate even for the cruel and unwise. Have compassion even toward the cruel and unwise. Otherwise, you run the risk of becoming cruel and unwise. I would rather find it in my heart somehow. I would, I would at least like to make the effort to have compassion for people that I consider cruel and unwise. Because I know if I don't, that it's a slippery slope. All these slippery slopes everywhere, it turns out. It's like it's raining, man. It's like it's raining everywhere and everything's slippery. But no, I know that if I stop making the effort to have compassion toward toward the cruel and unwise, that I run a severe risk of becoming cruel and unwise myself. And just to go back in this discussion, I even have compassion for the people throwing those rocks, the mob of people, like something led them there. Something led them to the point that they feel justified in throwing rocks at a terrified dog in the back of a car that's had its window broken out with the dog right there. You know, that window, I didn't see the footage of the window being broken out, but that window was broken out with a dog right on the other side of it. I think about the way my dog freaks out over the the smallest sound outside and just imagining how a dog would feel with a window being busted out in his face. But yet I still 
at least make the effort to have compassion for those people throwing those rocks because I don't lose anything by doing that. I don't lose my values. I don't lose the fact that I disagree with those people and I would actually intervene. I'd like to imagine, maybe this is my own fantasy here, but I'd like to imagine if I witnessed that, I would do something. But that doesn't mean I can't try to have compassion. I can't try to understand it because I don't think compassion comes from a place of weakness, even though I think it's often manipulative. When people say, you need to have empathy, you need to have empathy, you need to have compassion and empathy. You need to have compassion and empathy. You know, when people say that, it's often manipulative because what they mean is you need to have compassion and empathy toward the people that I'm telling you to have compassion and empathy toward. You know, there's something manipulative when people say that. And when you say, oh, okay, oh, you're telling me I need to have empathy and compassion. Okay, so I'm going to have empathy and compassion for, you know, the BLM mob and also the neo-Nazis. And also Goethe, and also the Sandman. I'm going to have compassion for all of them. I'm going to have compassion for the guy who got in Sandman's face. I'm going to have compassion for the freaks who hate this teenage girl who talks about the climate. You know, I'm going to have compassion for all of these people. And that doesn't mean agreeing with them. Because the thing about having the strength to at least try to have compassion is you don't slip. You know, you don't slip and suddenly agree with one person or agree with the thing you're trying to have compassion for. You don't become consumed by it. Because I think making that effort, habitually making the effort to have compassion for everything, having total compassion, I believe that that makes you that much stronger and that much more resistant to the pull. Because one of the things that concerns people deep down, one of the reasons why they don't want to have true universal empathy and compassion, even for the things that they think are destroying our world, is because they feel that if they have empathy or compassion for even that, they feel it will somehow suck them in and somehow they will become complicit which isn't true at all, if you're able to entertain even the idea of having compassion for something you despise, you become that much more resistant and that much stronger. So that's an important thing to consider in all of this. And uh, I think you become that much more resistant to hating children and animals simply for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, too. Because I don't want to lose sight of that, that that's what I'm talking about here. Think Whatever you want to think about audiophiles, do it. I'm not telling anybody how to think about audiophiles. But if you find your, your felf, if you find yourself feeling disgusted by women, or not, not women, think what you want about women, but if you find yourself disgusted by children and animals... I think you should isolate and do some thinking for a little while, for sure. Think about what led you to that. And yeah, if there's a bunch of demon children surrounding your house, uh, get the shotgun out. I don't know. I'm not... I don't know. (laughs) If they're actual demons, do what you want. But I, I think you know what I'm talking about here when I talk about letting yourself get to the point where you actually support hurting 
children or animals because they're adjacent or involved or connected in some way to something that you find disagreeable. You might as well be the person chopping off your rival mafia boss's son's arm and waving it in his face before you kill him. And that really happened. They really did that. And yeah, that's an extreme example, but you should be able to look at the extreme examples and say, these things aren't unconnected. Looking at a teenage boy and saying he has a punchable face because he I didn't like his smirk and he supports Donald Trumpsfeld, that isn't as far off from those mafia killers as you think they are. That's all the same thought taken to its logical conclusion. And, uh, you know, let's talk about punchable faces, though, because that's become a pop culture phrase. It's funny, as we get away from violence, as we think that violence is so far away, we all know what a punchable face is. And it's funny how people's definition of punchable face often does have some sort of socio-political frame of reference where we we tend to look at people who we know that we disagree with and see something worse than what is actually there. Or when you know that somebody disagrees with you in some way, they become less attractive for one. I mean, I think a great example is the the first lady the last couple first ladies actually where you know you look at people who didn't like obama or you just you look at people who yeah people who who didn't like obama and you'll never come across somebody who hates obama who thinks michelle obama is hot you'll never hear you'll never hear an obama hater say yeah i really hate that guy i really hate president obama but man do i got a I got a hot nut for uh, Michelle. You'll never hear someone say that. What you'll hear is, I hate Obama and his wife is an ugly man. People say that often. And the same is true for Trumpsfeld, where even though we have an actual Eastern European supermodel who is enviably, not that I want to look like her, but I, I mean, I think that she would probably be the envy of a lot of people. You know, I think a lot of women would wish they looked like uh, Melania. You know, I bet a lot of people wish they looked like her. I mean, she's gorgeous. I didn't even, like, look at her until last year. I don't even think I paid attention to what she looked like until last year, and I looked at a picture of her, and I was just like, oh, wait, I, I guess I didn't realize the first lady is a supermodel. And I'm not even a guy, like, I don't like skinny women. I'm not into... By skinny, I mean actually skinny, like like supermodel thin. And Melania isn't. And here I am, I'm just going to go on about how hot Melania is. But I, I don't think I really realized that until the last year when I just looked at her once and I was like, oh man, she's actually objectively gorgeous. And I only bring this up because there are people who hate Donald Trumpsfeld who will say Melania's ugly. They will never admit to themselves that she is an objectively beautiful human being. Even when you take sexuality out of it, if you cannot look at her and say, yeah, she's beautiful. Her career was based around the fact that she is an objectively beautiful human being. But because she is associated with something that you despise, you can't admit that to yourself. You can't admit that you find Melania objectively beautiful because you associate her so heavily with something you despise. 
And I do believe there is such a thing as objective beauty. I believe there's such a thing as objective cuteness. Like some animals are just objectively cute. But you can see where when you despise something, when you let hatred consume your heart, you start to see cute things as a problem because they're associated with something you don't like. You start to see beautiful things as a problem because, again, they're associated with something that your heart hates. You start to see children as soldiers. And, of course, there are child soldiers. You know, and I, could, I don't even know how to get into that. I don't even know how to get into that topic, although it's, it runs parallel, if not intersects with this entire discussion, the idea of using children as soldiers. Um, I, mean, I mean, I guess the, all, all I will say about that is that the desire to use children as soldiers comes from the same place as seeing children as the enemy because they are associated with a larger issue that you despise. Like the same reason why people employ children as soldiers is the same reason that somebody looks at a teenager's face and thinks he's really punchable. It's the same exact place that that comes from. Um, But, you know, you start to see things as something other than what they are. It's like you see a cute child at the supermarket because, you know, I, I always say hi to kids. Although yesterday I was on a walk and a kid went out of his way, a little boy, and he just said, hi. He just waved at me. And like I, I kind of take the same approach to women as I do children where I try not to initiate a random hello out on the street. Like I went on recently about walking in the woods and I, I've kind of made this decision where in most cases I'll let a woman say hi to me first if I pass her in the woods Like, I'll give her the power, the control to decide whether or not we're going to have any kind of exchange. It's the same thing with a kid, (laughs) where if I see a kid out on the street or something, I'm not somebody who's going to kneel and be like, hi, what's your name? You know, I'm not going to be that freak. I'm not going to be like these audiophiles out there. I know these audiophiles just love the sound of a, a child's voice. That's why they like to talk to them. But I'm not going to do that. But this kid, he just went out of his way. He was across the street, but he was like, hi, and he waved. And I was just like, that's so nice. I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> you know, I really did. I was like, I feel so much better about myself that that kid saw me as somebody to wave at and say hi to. Um, you know, it does feel good, but you got to let the kid talk to you first if you're a grown man. And unfortunately, that's just the world we live in. Because uh, I'm not a kid person. I'm not somebody who really knows how to talk to kids or get along with kids, if that's not completely obvious by the way I talk on this show. I'm not the best. I just feel awkward. I just don't know. It's it's just a muscle that I haven't developed, the talking to kids mechanism. But uh, I usually freeze up. Like I went to a barbecue many years ago. A coworker was having a barbecue, and her son he was just, he had autism and he kept going on and on about hot dog eating contests because we were eating hot dogs. And when I was leaving, I looked down at him and I, I, I was trying to make a joke and keep in mind, he was, 
not just Asperger's, but he had full-on autism. I don't know where on the spectrum he fell, but he was definitely pretty deep. And as I was leaving, I'd had a few drinks, and that, I think I'd smoked a little weed maybe. And I, I looked down at him, and I, I said, make sure you... And I just froze, because I, I saw him looking up at me with just this this like look of utter emptiness. Because I guess I was trying to make a joke more for the adults than anybody else. Like, I was going to make a joke about hot dog eating contests. Like, I think, I think what I tried to say was, make sure you train for that hot dog eating contest. But I just froze. I just go, make sure you... And then there was this moment where he was just staring at me with empty eyes, and I was just frozen in terror. And his his parents and the adults all just kind of like watched this moment frozen in time. And this is a special circumstance. I mean, this is like the worst as far as my interactions with kids have gone. I've had great interactions with kids, okay? Uh, but this is definitely the worst because it was just this frozen moment in time where I realized like this kid isn't going to understand that I'm just making a joke about hot dog eating contests. And in fact, like I felt like I just, I lost everything in that moment. I was just totally without any wit. And then I tried to finish my sentence where I was like, but I stuttered through it. I stammered. I was just like, make sure you train for that hot dog eating contest. And then I, I had a long walk home with my thoughts it was good for me, though. <laughs> it was good for me. But yeah, it felt really good anyway to have a kid just say hi to me on the street because, you know, at least at least I'm not scary, I guess. But uh, but yeah, you know, whatever I was getting at, the idea of, I don't know, justifying cruelty toward children or animals is the bigger point here. And it's a sign that things are very off. If you find yourself start doing that, starting to do that, or if you see that happening, if you see that becoming a trend around you, you know that some sort of societal collapse or regression is happening. Oh, I was going to talk about punchable faces. That was it, because that's become a pop culture phrase where we just say it, and it's lighthearted. It's used in this lighthearted way, even though we do mean it in the sense that this person pisses me off for no reason. Oh, but yeah, I mean, I have a couple things to say here. You know, a lot of that is politicized in the same way that you can't admit when somebody is objectively beautiful or a child or animal is objectively cute because you associate them with something you don't like. And I've actually seen this happen with people I know where we'll be talking about things, we'll be talking about somebody and someone will bring up somebody and they'll be like, oh yeah, she's really attractive. And then somebody will say, yeah, but she's a Republican and somebody will be like, ooh, never mind. Well, your idea of what's attractive is associated with what someone believes or what they are associated with. And the fact that seeing somebody as sexually or romantically attractive and that having a basis in some sort of abstract thought, the way that that plays out, even with things like just children being cute or animals being cute, the fact that you can associate that with, with something else other than the fact that they simply are what they are. I know that kind of, that sentence didn't go great, but, uh, you know, the fact that you're associating something that simply has a physical presence with something that has nothing to do with that physical presence alone, and that that causes you to judge that thing 
in some way or change your judgment of it. Because I'm not somebody like when I hear that a girl or a woman doesn't believe the same way I do or even believes something that I strongly disagree with or goes against my values, that honestly doesn't change how I feel about them. And maybe part of that's a guy thing. I don't know if that's a guy thing or not where... There's that idea like, oh, a guy, uh, you know, just throw a woman at him. It don't matter. He don't care. He thinks with his D. Oh, you're a, you're a guy, so you think with your D. Excuse me. But there is that idea. and Maybe there's a little bit of truth to it. Like, I don't think I think with my D. But uh, I do think maybe there is something to that where men evaluate women less based less on abstraction. Because when I think about the examples I know of where someone is like, oh, he's a Republican? Never mind. You know, I, I do think of that coming from women. And it's, this isn't a judgment of women, because I think it's actually important to evaluate people for more than just their physical body. It's just that you can go too far with that. And I think the the way things have gone, where things are as polarized as they are, and virtually everything that we encounter right now seems to be filtered through a similar sense of judgment, where we want to know where it falls. We want to know where it sits on the social or political spectrum in order to make our next judgment. You know, the fact that everything has kind of gone that way makes it unsurprising to me that we have fantasies about punching children or that we feel the need to mock a teenage girl who's terrified of the apocalypse. Whether you agree with her or not, it's like you don't need to sit there and relentlessly mock her. I mean, if you want to do it privately, that's one thing, but it's just like when you make a public platform out of that even, I just think you should rethink what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because you don't want to be at a place where you're justifying the mistreatment of children or mistreatment of animals or anyone, but start with them. Because if you can't even put a barrier up between some sort of malice toward children or animals, everything else is out the window. You know, if you can't even stop yourself from expressing a fantasy to punch a kid in the face, everything else is out the window. If you can't stop yourself from throwing a rock at a car with a dog terrified for its life, defending its owner, if you can't stop yourself from doing that, everything else is out the window. Everything else is through the window. I mean, to make a, a dumb play on words, I mean, we're talking about windows being shattered here. It's like every everything is just, every window is shattered at that point. Um... But yeah, the, just to finally get to my point about punchable faces, the thing about that is it's real. I mean, there are people who haven't done anything to deserve being punched in the face, and I understand that impulse. While I will not use that stupid catchphrase, punchable face, I will not use that phrase except here to discuss the phrase. I understand the desire. Like, there was a guy I worked with, and I'm a nice coworker. I get along with coworkers. You know, I, I never have real problems like that. But there was a guy I worked with, and every time I would walk by him, I wanted to punch him in the back of the head, and it was very instinctive. I never did it, 
but it was very instinctive. And I guess there was nothing about his face that was punchable, but I think I would call him a punchable head. He had a punchable head. There was something about his head, especially when I would walk by the back of it. It was a big head, and I would just think, I just kind of want to punch him. Because he did, he did annoy me a little bit. You know, he was, he was kind of naive, and I had no beef with him whatsoever. There was no justification, and I knew there was no justification. No matter what this guy did to annoy me, there was no justification for it. He was a nice guy. That didn't change the fact that he had a punchable head. And I think I'm more of a punchable head guy than a punchable face guy. I think I'm a little more sensitive to heads than I am faces. Like some people's heads just look like they need a punch. The back of their head, the side of their head. Punchable heads. That's the name of my band. Hey, you want to come out uh, and see my band? We're playing at the uh, the pub on Sunday. We're called the Punchable Heads. We're a lot of fun. We're, we're, our band is just a lot of fun. We're called the Punchable Heads. Um, but uh, you know, Punchable Heads are more of my thing. And so I understand the impulse. I understand there's some sort of primal urge when you see somebody's head or their face that makes you want to punch it. But you have to remember, I mean, that's a great opportunity to use that compassion that I was harping on. Because you don't want to actually find a justification. Because the thing is, so much of what we do is justifying some primal urge. So much abstraction, so much of what we think about is us justifying something we actually have no justification or explanation for. We have no way of knowing why we feel that way, except for the fact that we do. And so we will invent all of these other reasons. We will come up with all of these explanations, these lies. We will lie our way into justifying some sort of misgiving or desire to slug someone in the back of the head. We will come up with all kinds of reasons for it, when the reality is, punchable faces are real. Punchable heads are real to me, but don't find a way to justify it. Because I could sit here and say, oh, this guy, this coworker, and I, I just wanted to slug him in the back of the head. You know, I could come up with a reason for it. I even almost went there. You could, he- you could hear where I almost went there, where I was like, well, you know, he was kind of annoying. And no, he wasn't. Not really. He wasn't a problem. You know, I'm not going to say I wanted to be friends with him, but was the guy really a problem? But you could see where I was just starting to, you know, thread my way. I was just starting to sew up a a good old explanation for why this guy deserved to be punched in the head as I walked by. You know, and that's what we do with many things. And we convince ourselves that our explanation is the reason why a head is punchable or a face is punchable. You know, we convince ourselves that it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing where we convince ourselves that there is some reason when often there isn't. And I'm not going to condemn anybody for having that fantasy. I'm not going to condemn someone for thinking, oh, you know what? Like there are some people who I just want to punch them in the face. But I would say recognize whether or not it is just a, a primal urge versus some sort of twisted socio-political justification. I would say recognize that first and foremost. If you're going to have these fantasies, if you're going to have these fantasies about punching children, at least, you know, know where it's coming from. 
And if it's coming from some place that's, you know, part of this twisted, tattered, I don't even know what it is. It's just a twisted and tattered something that justifies some sort of animosity based on some idea that somebody falls into a camp that we find disagreeable. A twisted and tattered camp. A twisted and twisted. It's twisted. It's a twisted and tattered tent in a camp we find disagreeable. How's that for nonsense? Now, I'd say know where that's coming from if you're going to think that way. And just try to not think that way. Try not to justify primal urges that are against everything that our civilized society stands for. Because you will become the person who cuts off a kid's arm and wags it in their face. I mean, you could you could have become somebody... Like, if you thought that the Sandman had a punchable face and you thought it was okay to do triple x him you know you very well could be somebody who cuts his hand off and says oh so this is the hand you were going to use to vote for Donald Trumpsfeld now you'll never vote for him you could easily become that person there and you won't be as cool as a mafia guy you won't be as cool as a mafia killer you'll just be a terrible person but i'll have compassion even for you I'll have compassion and empathy even for you, terrible person. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll want to punch you in the head. But I'll at least know why I want to do it for no reason. The why is nothing. Because some people just fall into that category for us. We just want to punch certain people in the head. But yeah, if you start to see... Think of this as your alarm bell. If you find yourself having animosity toward children and animals, like, yeah, if they're messing with you, like if a kid is stabbing you in the ankles with a knife, you're more than welcome to kick him. You know, if a dog is trying to maul you, yeah, you're more than welcome to throw a rock. But if you find yourself finding excuses for people throwing rocks at a dog who's just in a car that belongs to somebody who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, if you find yourself, you know, mocking the face of a a girl who's terrified of the apocalypse, if you find yourself wanting to punch a random teenager in the face, these should tell you something about yourself, and not just about yourself, but about the state of the world you're in. And if we start seeing justification for hurting animals and children because of who those animals and children are associated with, well, we're in for it. We are in for a lot of stuff. And I haven't heard anybody talk about this. I've never heard anybody say anything about this. I've heard people defend and... I've heard people discuss individual instances. Like, I've heard people say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be fantasizing about punching a teenager in the face. I've heard people say things like that. But looking at this as part of a larger trend that is played out throughout history is an important part of it, too, where we can find justification for hurting things that we otherwise would never conceive of. And that can become a trend, and I worry that it 
will. And so be on the lookout for it. In the same way that you might judge a person on a personal level for the way they treat your dog or your cat, like when your friends say to you, girls understand this, when your friends say to you, uh, don't date that guy because he doesn't treat animals very well, you know what that means. Like on a personal level, you know what it means when someone says to a girl, don't date that guy because he's not very nice to animals. You know what that means. We all understand what that means. But when that plays out on a social and political level, it means the same thing. It means this is not okay. And you can't allow this. You can't allow these people to have influence in your life. Because it is just one symptom of much worse things that could happen and will happen. And I can't actually think of worse things than children and animals being subjected to some sort of political or social vendetta. So that might actually be the worst thing. It's the alarm, but it's also the worst possible outcome. Because these are the things with the least amount of control over their circumstances which also makes them easy targets. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 